In the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome each and every one to our service of worship and celebration this Sunday morning. But just before we begin, we always take a few moments for the, for the things that matter to us as a church family. Well, first, let me say Happy New Year because this is the first Sunday in the new year, and it's good to be together as God's people in worship and celebration. A very special welcome to anyone who is visiting with us. If it's your first time here, know that you are very welcome. If you've been here a few Sundays, you are still very welcome to be here, and we are so glad you are. If you have never filled out one of those welcome cards in your pew uh, that's in the rack in the pew in front of you, feel free to fill one out, drop it off at the Welcome Center in the cafe after the service, and we would just love to have a record of your visit there. The Welcome Center is an important place to be, and if you want to stop there today to sign up for Discipleship Explored, you'd be very happy, we'd be very happy if you would. We're going to be, we're excited about starting uh, Discipleship Explored. We're going to be doing it through our small groups or growth groups. And so in that uh, tenor, we, have, we will have four starting right away. One on Sunday right after church sometime for till about 2 o'clock. One on uh, Tuesdays in the afternoon. One on Wednesdays in the evening with Pastor Gary. And one on Thursday late afternoon just before supper. And uh, so anyway, the times and, and people leading them and so on are, will be on the, uh, uh, the Welcome Center table. Uh, sign up on the Discipleship Explored forms just so that we know you're interested we'll be in touch and we'll put you into the right group that you want to be into uh, baptismal classes will be uh, held following the morning services on Sunday January 28th and February 4th and these classes are for anyone who is either interested in being baptized or is just curious about baptism and what it means and so on this time I'm just going to ask Paul and and um, whoa Peter, if they just want to get ready to come up and do their announcements. Meanwhile, there's a directory update. You have, should have already received an email regarding the directory that's being updated for 2024. And uh, please just fill out the form on it or get one of the hard copy forms here. If you have not, if you have not been in the directory or you have changes to the directory, you need to fill out one of the forms. If you're in the directory and you like what's there, you're okay. That'll just, just leave it the way it is and we won't touch it. Paul? Paul Hamill? Okay. Um, <laughs> he wants to do announcement. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, double duty. I guess my 30 seconds is up. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to draw your attention to the announcement about Gray Matters that was uh, flashed up here. After a four-month hiatus or break, we are starting again um, a week this Tuesday on the 16th. Uh, we have a special speaker, Lorelee Siemens. Um, she's going to be speaking to us about the topic of abortion. Uh, she has her own personal testimony uh, about that, and I won't say too much because I don't want to steal her thunder, but her own personal experience 
uh, with the issue. Um, she also does a lot of other speaking at other places about this, uh, this topic. She will be explaining to us uh, the reason why uh, uh, the, pro-life, the pro-life stance on this um, and also how to engage people who have a different perspective on this issue in a very calm and Christian way. So we're hoping that even if you don't regularly attend our meetings for Grey Matters, that you, if you're interested in this, that you can uh, join us on Tuesday the 16th at 7 o'clock sharp here at the church. Thank you. All right, this thing's a little more my height. All right, um, Avalanche. It's the youth retreat, grades 5 through... Well, now it's kind of, we're stretching to nine, but um, January 29, my mind just went blank with the date. There you go, 19, 20, 21. Okay, thank you. See, people have been paying attention. Awesome. All right, uh, it's a youth retreat, and it's awesome. It's up at Muskoka Woods. It's uh, about $160, but they give food, shelter, and uh, give you the weekend. So what's better than that? All right, um, we've got a quick video and hit it. You are here Moving in the midst I worship you I worship you You are here Working in this place I worship you I am officially stepping foot on Mars. Excellent. Let me let me get a good picture of Mars. All right. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship. Thank you, Peter, and, and uh, it'll be a great time at Avalanche, I'm sure. I do have one other announcement that I want to make at this time, and it's been a, a busy weekend with some things I know people have been asking already. Dave Fisher is out of hospital, and he is at home, and we can rejoice over that. There are issues still that will need to be looked after. Margaret Reimer lost her brother-in-law this weekend, and we do want her to know that we're much in prayer with her. But on the, on the side of praise, Linda Miller shared with me this morning that her dad, David, whom we've been praying for for a long time, has made a profession of faith and has come to the Lord. At the same time, however, 
Uh, he is dealing with some incurable medical issues and, ha and the family has decided they will stop treatment. So we want to pray for them during this time as they continue through these days. Those are all the announcements. Family really does matter here at Stanley Park and we're glad you're a part of, of it. And I'm going to turn the service over now to the worship team. Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, the thing about New Year's is oftentimes people have resolutions and, and a lot of aspirations. And um, that's great. We should always aspire to look forward to higher things. Um, the other thing I think we can really take comfort in is um, in this new year, uh, no matter what comes, uh, God is faithful. Um, and he, no matter what happens, if it's, if it's good, if it's hard, um, that he will be there and that we can put our hope and our trust in him. Um, I just want you to remember that today, and I got to remember that today as well. Um, as we prepare, uh, will you join with me as we pray? Father God, we thank you uh, for today and the gift that it is, and we thank you for this time and this place where we can come together with your people, God, and bring our praise and worship, the, the groans of our heart to you, Lord. God, we thank you that great is your faithfulness, Oh, God, our Father, that, God, there's no shadow of turning. God, there's nothing in, in life or in death that can take us away from your love. And, God, we just pray that we proclaim that in this place today, that, God, as you have first loved us even when we were unfaithful, um, God, because of that, we've been changed, we've been renewed, we've been brought in as sons and daughters to your kingdom. So God, help us not to just keep that to ourselves, but God, to reflect that back into the places that we are. God, whether it's at work or at school or in our homes, that God, we can be just faithful witnesses of everything that you are doing and that you have done and everything that you will do in our lives. God, we know that this week or maybe even today, God, there's things that we've said or done that we shouldn't have, God, ways that we've fallen short of, of your perfection, of your plan for us. So God, we just ask that you would you would forgive us, that God, you would help us. God, you would pick us up and dust us off and help us to reflect more of Jesus every single day. God, we pray too that we aren't just people um, sitting in pews today, but God, that you would um, just ignite that flame within us, that God, you would stir our hearts and our minds, that God, you would give us opportunities, again, just to show that love to other people who maybe aren't easy to love. And God, in the midst of that, that you would be praised and that you would get the glory. So God, everything that we say here and everything that we do here, we just want to bring it back to you and say thank you for all that you do. And we just uh, pray all these things in your name we pray. Amen. We'll ask if you're able uh, to please stand with us as we sing a few songs.
this time I'm going to do two things. I am going to uh, pray for our kids and I'm going to pray for our offering. Uh, So please join with us again as we pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the amazing gift of these kids. God, we thank you um, just that you love them so, so much and that, that God, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. That God, there wasn't one that he turned away. That God, he found them so precious and said that we need to be like children as we come in faith to you. And God, we know that they face uh, unique challenges every day. Um, And God, we just pray that you would just help them to remember that your spirit is with them and that, God, they have a church and a church family that loves them. God, we pray for their leaders as they lead, that you would give them wisdom and insight and that, God, you would just help them uh, just give them peace and and patience and... and, um, that, God, you would just have them be able to receive your message today. And, Lord, too, we pray for this offering. Um, God, whether it feels like much or little, um, God, help us to be faithful with what you've given to us. Um, God, help us um, just to give um, in anticipation of what you will do, not because we have to, but because we want to, um, because we want to see your kingdom here on earth. So, God, just please take this offering Multiply it and use it uh, for whatever you see fit, Uh, God, here at Stanley Park and in Kitchener and to the ends of the earth. And we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, I think your leaders should be at the back to get you. Have a great time. Uh, We're going to continue just singing one more song, um, but feel free to stay seated as we do that. Yeah. 
Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, in the joy of beginning a new year, we come with joy and praise and gladness in our hearts as we bow in your presence, ever and always thankful for the tremendous blessing of not only knowing you as the almighty creator, sovereign ruler of all things, of not only being able and permitted to come into your presence at any moment, but to actually be welcomed and rejoiced over by being a part of your eternal family. O Lord, how our hearts rejoice, how our minds are made glad, because of all that you have done for us, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We come praising and rejoicing in our eternal King. Alleluia, alleluia, praise your everlasting name. Father, as we embark into yet another new year, we place our days and our times and our lives into your everlasting care, trusting you for all that is to come in this period of time we call 2024. And just as we have trusted you in the past, we once again put our trust in your faithfulness to us so we can know and we can count upon your constant care in every moment of our now. Father, we truly thank you for our church, for the richness and the blessings we find in the fellowship we share with one another. You, O oh God, have truly blessed all of us so richly through the fellowship, through the care and love of one another. Even as your spirit has led us up as a people and as a congregation, and as the presence of Christ in the corner of the world you have placed us in, refresh us yet once more. Remind us again of how much we need each other. May we find ourselves growing in the grace and the mercy and the deep love that you have poured out over us. The truth is, we know that we don't really deserve your loving care and continuous blessings. For we've been careless in our relationship with you and with one another we don't deserve the mercy or the grace and the love that you lavish over us. For many times, too often even to count, we have acted without mercy. We have not shown grace. And we have lacked in our love for one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgive us, O oh God. We ask for your pardon and your cleansing, even as we seek your renewal. And we ask to be re-energized in our determination to walk faithfully with you, more lovingly with each other, even as we will be reminded yet once again of the covenant that binds us together as one and with you. Our needs are many, O oh Lord. Whether we're sitting in this auditorium or joining together online, we acknowledge that we are a needy people. Some of us have slipped and fallen in, in our own waywardness and sin, and we come before you desperately needing to know and experience your forgiveness afresh. As we confess our sins to you, wash us clean in your forgiveness, we ask. Restore us in our relationships with one another, and especially with you. For those who are discouraged, we ask that you would give encouragement, for those who are dealing with tough things in their lives, we pray that you would take those things and uh, things, make those things clear and show us how to manage them and how to walk through them. 
Some of us are discouraged, disheartened. Life's given us some tough stuff to deal with. Meet us where we are at, O oh God. We need your spirit. We need to know your loving arm around us and your gentle and loving touch upon us. And when we feel like we can't go on one step further, help us to carry on, to know that you are God. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can't help us get through. Father, for those of us who are dealing with health issues at this time, we ask that you would prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so we pray for David as he's come home from the hospital and for Gus as he continues to recover from his time, for Cheryl as she fights COVID and for those who are on, with ongoing and, and changing health issues, we, we pray that you would be the God who walks with them every step of the way, placing your strong arm around them. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving, especially for Margaret this morning and her family who have recently lost loved ones, perhaps not having come to terms with the loss they have experienced. And we ask that you would put your loving arms around them, comfort and strengthen, even as you help each one come to terms with their loss. We praise you for David's decision to commit himself to you, O God, and for his stance of faith. And we pray for him as they've made a very tough decision for him to come off his meds. We just ask that you would be in that situation, and we commit them to you, O oh God. May your name be praised. May you be glorified through it all. We pray for our seniors, those who, whose bodies are aging and not allowing them to do the things they once did, nor even to be here with us, though in their heart of hearts that's their greatest longing. Comfort them, strengthen, provide for them, be present when they, are, when they feel alone, and may each of them know your loving presence from day to day. And now, O oh God, as we gather around your word and we come around your table, as we renew our covenantal promises to one another and to you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully present, speaking into our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Bless Pastor Gary and the word that you have given him to share with us. We pray for all these things, all to your eternal praise and to the glory of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year! There it is. Okay, 2024. That's where we are. Pardon? Twenty twenty seventh. Sorry, I. Uh, I'm. Uh, 
I'm not a quick study. Um, so today is known as Epiphany Sunday uh, in, in sort of the Eastern Christian tradition. It's, it's also known as Theophany Sunday. And Epiphany, when I use that word, uh, you might think of perhaps people saying, oh, I had an epiphany. And they typically mean they've had a, a, an insight or, or a revelation. And that word epiphany comes from a Greek word that, that means manifestation or appearance. It can also be translated a revelation. And so just a quick little history on this day called epiphany in the Christian calendar. Uh, while many know it as a day marking 12 days after Christmas and Typically, the time we take down our Christmas tree, and if it's real, you throw it out at the curb, and it looks really sad. Or if you're like us, it's artificial. It's the same one you've been using for 20 years, and you pack it back up in the box, put away all the decorations. It is, in fact, a day, Epiphany, with significant meaning and history. In the third century, the early church leaders established the celebration of Epiphany as a, as a feast day uh, to honor and commemorate any of the four primary manifestations of Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. First of all, they acknowledged his birth, where, of course, the angels bore witness, the shepherds representing Israel bowed before Jesus. The visit of the Magi, representing, of course, the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles, these Magi from the East who came to worship Jesus. Also, Jesus' baptism where the Holy Spirit descended and, and God the Father declared Jesus' identity. And finally, Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, revealing his divine nature, his power over nature. Through Jesus Christ, God made himself known to us so that we might come to know him. That's the, the gist of this day called Epiphany. Now, in Eastern Christianity today, the, the focus is on the baptism of Jesus. In fact, they call it the Lord's Baptism Day. Uh, but here in the West, now, not every church does a whole lot with Epiphany. Some churches don't acknowledge it at all. Uh, that's okay. But the focus here in the West is on the visit of the Magi. Epiphany is also known as Three Kings Day for that reason, um, though... And I know we love to sing that hymn. I was the one who was responsible for it this morning. I, I asked uh, Ken and the team if they would play that this morning. We three kings, Vori and Tar. Um, now, we're never told that they were kings, of course, uh, or that they were from the Orient, per se, or that there were three of them. We tend to assume there are three, of course, because of the three gifts that they bring, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there is still incredible truth in that carol that we sang. Truth that we find and we read in the Bible in Matthew chapter 2, where I would invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me today. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at this incredible passage, and uh, it is truly incredible. This is God's Word, and if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to do our best to read this together in unison. We are going to read Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1, down to the end 
of verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, I believe we have this on the PowerPoint as well, but it's great to follow along in your Bible. I'm going to read it off the back wall. Here we go together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. May the Lord add his, read, his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much for uh, reading that along with me this morning. <clears throat> Unlike Luke's gospel, which you'll recall we read on Christmas Eve, uh, that was our, our focus, Matthew doesn't tell us at all about uh, angel armies in the night sky hailing Jesus' birth. He doesn't mention shepherds going to visit Jesus' manger. No. Right after we read of the angel of the Lord instructing Joseph to marry Mary, and name the baby Jesus, Matthew skips right to this important event, the Magi. We read that verse there. After Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That right there is why we're here, is it not? We have come to worship Christ the Lord, just as those magi did. In fact, that's the purpose for which God has created us, to know and worship Jesus Christ. And so it's my prayer today that as we look at this passage, we would be enlightened and reminded of who this newborn king is and what true worship of Jesus Christ ought to look like. May we revel in God's revelation 
in Christ Jesus, his manifestation to us, his appearing as he did. May we honor our Savior. May we savor our Savior and bow in humble adoration before him once again today. Uh, Now, we're just going to ask a couple questions here just to, to clarify who these guys were, these, these magi, because they're given a really important position in the scripture here in, in Matthew's gospel. Who are these guys? Well, we know at least where they came from. They came from the east, literally means where the sun rises. We know why they came. They came seeking the one who had been born king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east, they said, when we've come here to worship him. And we know they're called magi or magoi or magos in the Greek from which we get our English word magic. Magi referred to members of a special class of foreign scholars. Originally from the Median tribe, They studied astronomy and also astrology, though the focus here is is certainly on astronomy. They were captivated by the study of the stars and, and the prophetic knowledge and wisdom it gave them. Though they adopted the Persian religion, they were monotheistic. They were God fearing and sympathetic to Judaism and particularly fascinated with Old Testament prophecy, specifically the prophecy of Daniel. The Magi later became a priestly caste who served as advisors and consultants to the royal courts in Babylon, in Persia, in Arabia, and in India. So how did the Magi, these these wise men, because they certainly were wise, how did they know about the star? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us how God caused the Magi to know that the king of the Jews had been born, only that he gave them the sign of his star in the east. Now, notice what they call it. They call it his star. I would underline that. I think that's really important. Because obviously they are recognizing something about this king. This newborn king, yes, he's the king of the Jews, but this star that they saw in the sky, this star belonged to him. It pointed to and belonged to this newborn king. It was an acknowledgement of Jesus' ultimate authority as king of the universe, ruler. So how did they know that? Well, I don't think the idea just popped into their heads. God had revealed this in his word. The Old Testament book of Numbers records the oracles of that that famous Mesopotamian prophet named Balaam. Remember Balaam? I remember as a kid, I loved the story of Balaam and his donkey. You know, the donkey that talked. Um, Balaam's third oracle records this. I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter or king will rise out of Israel. Interestingly, according to ancient tradition, Balaam, this Gentile prophet, was an early member of the Magi, possibly even its founder. If this is true, it would at least 
help explain why the Magi at the time of Christ were aware that God was going to use a special star to announce the birth of this king to the world. But beyond Balaam's prophecy in the the book of Numbers here, the Magi, especially those in Babylon and Persia, where I said that the influence of Daniel was very strong, they would have been very familiar with Daniel's prophecy of the 77s or the 70 weeks. Perhaps you know this. I'll just show it to you quickly here. This is what we read in, in Daniel chapter 17. Verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. What does all that mean? According to this prophecy, it can be calculated that the Messiah would come as Prince of Israel 483 years after the Persian emperor gave the commandment to the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem. So as that promised date drew near, it certainly would have been possible For the Persian Magi, not to mention Magi from Babylon, possibly Arabia as well, to put together these prophecies of of Balaam from Numbers 24 and Daniel and thus be watching the stars, the constellations, which they studied. They were captivated by the stars and the sign of the stars. Now, again, this is speculation. We don't know for certain what portions of the word of God they understood, but what we do know is that they were being drawn and led by the God of the word to fulfill his word in the scripture. And when the Magi saw the star of the king of the Jews in the east, they made their way to worship him. Now verse three says this, when King Herod heard this, He was disturbed, can be translated distraught, greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Whoa, okay. How could three magi, (laughs) three wise men, cause this kind of reaction? Right? The, The whole city was disturbed. Herod was distraught. Well, again, the fact is we we tend to assume, like the song says, that there were three because of the three gifts, but in all likelihood, there were more than three magi, possibly an entourage, maybe a a dozen or more magi, who being foreign dignitaries, which they were very highly respected, they would have traveled with a military escort and a considerable group of servants. And being from the east, representing the nations of Persia and Babylon, they were not under the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire. In fact, they were part of another rival empire called the Parthian Empire, which was a real threat to the Roman Empire, specifically to its its borders and its authority. And so this group, this entourage from the Parthian Empire showing up in Jerusalem and declaring that a new king has been born, where is he? You could see why this might ruffle some feathers, right? By the way, when it says that the the Magi asked 
where is the king born? The implication there is that the Magi, this group, perhaps many in number, asked everybody and every, anyone that they met, where, where is he? Assuming that everyone would know, but nobody knew. People were clueless. What are you talking about? A king has been born? By the way, uh, an entourage like this wouldn't have traveled on camels. Like the Christmas cards picture. They would have been on horses. Mighty steeds, possibly with chariots as well. And so I'm sure when they showed up, it was a scene. They announced the arrival of uh, this newborn king. And so perhaps Jerusalem saw them as a threat, a threat of invasion. This This is a rival nation coming to invade us. Herod, of course, had been appointed king of the Jews as his official title by Rome. He'd been ruling for a very long time. And now here was this delegation from, from the enemy empire demanding information about someone born king of the Jews, and that was what he was. So you can see why he was distraught. So Herod does what any king would do. He calls together guys who are smarter than him, and his, specifically the chief priests of the law, and his teachers, teachers of the law and the chief priests. And uh, he, who by the way, can I just say this, uh, how embarrassing that the chief priests and teachers of the law had to be informed by foreign magi about the coming of their Messiah. <laughs> uh, though they knew, of course, the messianic prophecies, the fact is the Jewish religious leaders were not looking for the Messiah. They didn't really want him to come if it meant disrupting what they had going on. They kind of had a control in a pretty big way, a profitable operation going on there. So Herod asked them, where is the Christ? Christ, by the way, the Greek word Christos, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. See, Herod had been called king of the Jews, but not Christ. He was threatened here. He's afraid here. He's terrified here. So he wants to know what's going on. And so Herod's advisors advise him saying, what? In Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Notice they turn to the word of God for the answer. That's where we turn. God has already told them. He's revealed it. Verse 6, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Israel. It's interesting, they stop short here. They actually, uh, they cut the verse off, according to Matthew's account here. Let me show you what Micah 5, 2 goes on to say. His origins are from of old, from ancient times. The New King James Version puts it this way, from the days of eternity. He will stand and shepherd his flock In the strength of the Lord, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Okay, they probably didn't want to overwhelm Herod with that information. But the point is, this was no ordinary king the Magi were looking for. Though Herod was told this king would physically come out of Bethlehem in the present, 
somehow he'd been around from ancient times past, and he wouldn't just reign on to the future. This king's greatness would reach the ends of the earth. He will bring an end to history and establish the kingdom of God over which he will rule and reign forever as king of all kings and all the nations of the world, which, my friends, is ultimately what the Magi from the East represent. They represent the, the rest of the world. Gentiles, they show us that Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah and King of the Jews, is to be worshipped not just by Jews, but by people from all nations under heaven. The Magi, my friends, are the very first worshippers of Jesus Christ recorded in the New Testament. And they're not from Israel. They're Gentiles. Which is really the focus of Matthew's gospel. Through Jesus Christ, the invitation to know God personally, to be forgiven of our sin and made right with him is extended to the entire world. This is how Matthew begins the book, and it's how he ends the book. Look at 28, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He was that king, the king of the Jews, the king of the universe. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All, all nations, everywhere. Go and make disciples of all nations. From beginning to the end of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the King and Messiah, not just of the Jews, but of all the nations of the world. So let's go back to verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right. He wanted him killed, as we later read. Herod called the Magi in secretly because he didn't want anyone to know that he was taking them seriously. In fact, that he was terrified they might be right. And so, notice he asks them about the exact time this star appeared in the sky. I wonder if the chief priests and the teachers were now looking at Daniel's prophecy and doing the math on that based on the appearance of this star. Now, let me just say this. There's been a lot written about this star. Uh, A lot of theories. Uh, Some suggest it was Jupiter, the king of the planets, Others claim that it was a combination or conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the sky. Others claim it was a a meteor or or a comet. Others claim it, it was the glory of God just shining brilliantly, the Shekinah glory of God shining in the night sky. But what's interesting, my friends, is that the word translated star means star. These are where astronomers... Who knows stars better than astronomers? Nobody. They didn't call it a planet. They didn't call it a comet. They didn't call it the Shekinah glory of God. They they said they saw a star. Aster is the Greek word. That's what it is. And that's what Matthew is presenting. He's presenting this very straightforward historical account of what happened. Nevertheless, uh, many Bible scholars and teachers struggle to see how a fixed star in the heavens or even a moving star like a planet or comet could actually guide the Magi to the very house in Bethlehem where Christ was staying. And so they decide, well, it must have been an angel or, or it must have been a miraculous moving light that only 
the Magi could see. However, that's not what Matthew says. Matthew doesn't actually say, notice that the star led them all the way, as the song implies. And I love that, that word, westward leading, still proceeding, right? That's the implication of the song, that the star, they, they could follow it, it was moving. They could see it all the way from Persia or, or Babylon to Jerusalem, but that's not what it actually says in the Bible. What it actually says is that the Magi saw, saw the star twice. Look it. Once, when they were at home in the east, that's where they first saw the star. And then, only after Herod sends them to go find Jesus in Bethlehem, do they see the star for the second time. There's no record at all that they saw the star during their journey. Over the centuries, there have been some great Christian astronomers who have made fascinating suggestions and have some incredible theories about the nature of this star. And let me just share one of these. Unless God created a brand new star at this time, which is possible, of course, God can do anything, the most realistic explanation is that it was either a nova or a supernova. A supernova, by the way, is a a gigantic explosion of an existing but previously unknown star. It's real. These are real stars, not conjunctions of stars or comets, and certainly not atmospheric phenomena. In an article titled The Star of Bethlehem, published in Science Digest, way back in December of 1976, James Mullaney said this, and I just want to share this quote because I think it's really wonderful. The considered opinion of nearly all who have studied the question of the star is that a nova or supernova seems to be the most likely explanation for the Christmas star of all those put forth to date. He goes on to say this, Truly here is a celestial announcement card above all others worthy of the birth of a king. A supernova explosion radiates more energy into space at its peak than all the stars in our galaxy combined. The entrance of the creator into his creation as a man among men would surely warrant the most majestic announcement possible by his creation. An angelic host announced it at the scene. A mighty star announced it to the rest of the world. It's fascinating. We can't say for certain, but it's, it's fascinating. What we do know is when the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, several months after they first saw that star, possibly as long as two years after, in view of Herod's later slaughter of the children of Israel, according to Matthew 2.16, they apparently assumed that the newborn king would have been brought to Jerusalem by that time, or at least that Herod could tell them where he was, because Jerusalem is where the king lived. That's why, of course, they would have gone there. And so after Herod instructs them to go to Bethlehem, which, by the way, was six miles away, from Jerusalem, they suddenly saw the star again. Even though they they probably hadn't been able to see it while traveling to Jerusalem, it had indeed been going before them and now appeared once again, probably in the early morning sky. And here's what we read, verse nine. "The The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And my friends, I mentioned this earlier, here's where the Magi provide the first New Testament model of what worship of Christ should look like. 
And again, as I mentioned, it starts by acknowledging his ultimate authority as king, not only of the Jews, but of the universe. Again, that fact is underlined in the last verse of Matthew as Jesus commissions his disciples. Like the Magi, you and I, first of all, I believe we must acknowledge Jesus' ultimate authority over all of creation, over the universe and over you and I. And then when they finally find him, what did the Magi do? They what? They bowed down before him in humility. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. The New King James Version says they fell down. They, they fell down on their faces and worshipped him. These were dignitaries. They'd come a long way to do this, to show him that he was worthy and that, that, that they weren't. This was the king of the world. And so they hit the ground and they bowed before him in worship. That's what you do in the face of royalty. That's what you do in the face of holiness. It's a way of declaring again, you are great God, I am not. You are holy, I am sinful. And that's what these men did. When Jesus was finally found, the Magi hit the ground. They worshiped before the Ancient of Days. Almighty God in this little child. Like the Magi, we must also bow in humility before Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just acknowledging his authority or bowing before him in humility. Verse 10 tells us that true worship of Christ is exuberant. It means rejoicing in him joyfully. And it's repeated for a reason. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. But that doesn't do it justice. They didn't just rejoice or rejoice with joy or rejoice with great joy. It says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's the way the New King James Version puts it. Why? Why did they rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Because they were about to see their, their long-awaited king. Their king. Yeah, king of the Jews, our king too, king of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. True worship isn't just acknowledging Jesus' authority and bowing before him in humility. It's doing that with joyful rejoicing, for we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Why? Because like the Magi, by faith we recognize Jesus for who he is. The Messiah King, the Son of God in the flesh, given by God to save lost sinners. And because we know him, we know that there is no thing, no one worth more in all the universe. There is no greater privilege than to know and worship Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son and our Savior. And that gift of salvation, my friends, came at the greatest price ever paid, the greatest sacrifice ever made. And I believe it demands sacrifice from us in return. True worship of Jesus also means giving to him sacrificially. Not easily. Sacrificially means it costs us. It costs us something. Now, a lot's been written about the treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the Magi gave. And, of course, the significance of these gifts in light of Jesus is and, and what he would do. And what his title Christ meant, by the way. God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. And I think there's merit to that. 
They're mentioned for a reason, gold. It's easy to see why gold was an appropriate gift. After all, gold is the metal of kings. And the Magi knew they were coming to worship the king of all kings. And so the gift of gold may well have acknowledged his rule, his kingship, his sovereign authority. What about the frankincense? Well, this oil was used to anoint the priests of Israel. It was part of the meal offerings of thanksgiving and and praise to God. In presenting incense, the Magi might have pointed to Christ as our great high priest, the only one whose life was righteous, holy, acceptable, and well-pleasing to God the Father. But Jesus isn't just our great high priest and the king of kings. He was also the perfect sacrifice, the precious lamb of God who would lay down his life on the cross to make atonement for our sins. And this is strange because myrrh, Myrrh was an expensive spice used for embalming dead bodies, which might have seemed odd or even offensive to present to a little child. However, the Old Testament again and again foretold of Jesus' suffering and his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross. Now, did the Magi have these things in mind in presenting these gifts? We don't know for certain. The point Matthew makes is that the Magi presented Jesus gifts of incredible expense, of enormous cost. These were treasures. They presented to him treasures. And so in giving them away to Christ, the Magi were declaring Jesus' matchless worth. That more than any treasures on earth, they treasured the king of heaven in this little child. Jesus was their greatest treasure, and they were giving up, sacrificing the best earth had to offer in order to worship him. So the question is, what sacrificial gift should we give in order to worship Christ as king this year? And um, when, we, when we contemplate the, the cost, the price God paid to save us, that he did not spare his own precious son, but gave him up for us all to save us from our sins and to make us right with him, how can we not give him everything that we have, everything that we are? Submit and surrender to him our money, our time, our energy, our thoughts, our plans, our very lives. That's what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12.1, says, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual can be translated reasonable as well. It's the only thing reasonable in light of what God has done for us. Our very lives are the one and only reasonable thing we can offer to the King of Kings, who by his grace has given us all things in Christ Jesus. So my friends, like the Magi... (laughs) We Gentiles, outsiders from all the nations of the world, are invited into a personal, eternal relationship with God Almighty by repenting of our sins and believing in God's one and only Son, Jesus, whom we've come here today, I pray, to worship, to adore, to bow down before, to glorify. We do that by acknowledging his ultimate authority as King of Kings, Lord of the Universe, by bowing in humility before the Son of God in human flesh, by rejoicing joyfully in Him and in our salvation that's found in Jesus' name, 
and by giving sacrificially of ourselves to the God who gave his one and only perfect son, our prophet, priest, and king, who died on the cross to save us from our sin and give us eternal life in him. That's good news. How fitting that today as we start this brand new year, that we remember this, that we come together around the Lord's table to remember, to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, that old, rugged, but wonderful cross where Jesus laid down his life for us. Um, I'm going to invite the team to come and lead us in a hymn, a modern hymn, The Wonderful Cross, in preparation to partake of these elements. Uh, But before we sing that song, I'd just like to ask you to join with me as we bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God, I want to say thank you for your word. It is the truth. Father, thank you for, for leading us today into your word. Thank you for opening our eyes to understand what it says, Father, and I pray today that that we would not just hear it, let it go in one ear and out the other, but that we would listen and do what it says. And just like those magi, Father God, that, that we would come every day before your throne of grace and that we would present our lives as sacrifices to you, holy and pleasing, for this is our spiritual and only reasonable act of worship. Father, I pray that 2024 would be a year of reasonable and spiritual worship for each one of us here. Father God, that that we would bow before you in humility, that we would rejoice in our salvation joyfully, that we would acknowledge always your authority. And Father God, that that you would be honored and glorified as we give our lives, ourselves, our time, our resources to you sacrificially. May the name of Jesus be praised. Father, make us grateful today. May we revel in the epiphany that is Jesus Christ, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Thank you so much, God, for our salvation in his name. Amen. Um, If you're able, as we sing, I will ask you to please stand as well.
thanks to the worship team for leading us. You may be seated. Today, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, we have the privilege and uh, truly the uh, this is exciting. Whenever we come together to the Lord's Supper, this this is the, the table of the Lord, of his people. We come together in obedience of Jesus' command. And when we do that, we are reminded of our unity, of our unity in, in faith in Christ and in the work of his spirit in our lives and calling us to be part of the body here at Stanley Park. And so it's a privilege to add to our, our membership here. Uh, whenever the Lord leads someone, it's, it's, a, it's a day of, of rejoicing for us. And today is... Uh, a day of rejoicing as we have the privilege to welcome into membership here our dear sister Lucy Wado. Uh, uh, so in a second, I'm going to ask Lucy to come on up here if she's feeling well enough. Awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, just a quick reminder of, of what this means. We, we have a covenant here. Uh, Pastor Paul mentioned this is we're about to partake of, of the covenant of, in Jesus' blood, but we have a covenant as a church, which is what we commit to as followers of Jesus Christ here at Stanley Park Baptist Church. And part of what we commit to is, is to support each other, to pray for each other, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds in our common pursuit of God's will and his ministry and mission here. And so it's been so great sharing in that ministry with Lucy these last few months. Uh, just share a few words. I, I don't have her permission to do this, but Lucy's wonderful, and it's been great getting to know her a little bit. Lucy was actually part of a, a prayer team here during Christianity Explored. Uh, she, uh, along with Nancy, would, would pray uh, faithfully every night as we would uh, run the program, as groups were meeting, just praying for the Lord's leading. She is a prayer warrior. Uh, it's a privilege to pray alongside her. I encourage you to do that. Uh, but I'm going to invite Lucy to come on up here to the front, and I'm going to invite uh, whatever deacons uh, we have here to, to come on up here as well. I brought a pen this time. Oh, you did too? Okay. Very good. Awesome. Um, so we have our scroll to sign here, our uh, official membership record. So Lucy brought her own pen, probably works better than mine, so I'll let you uh, use that one there, and I'll try to get this in a way that you can, <laughs> can sign it there, Lucy. Uh, and uh, you can just sign it right under Ruby and Neville Cowan, who recently joined, rejoined. So I'm going to read my script here, Lucy, just so that I don't miss anything here. It is an honor, truly, to welcome you into this fellowship and family of believers in Christ, bound together by a common faith in the work of the Spirit in our lives. Lucy, we've had the privilege of witnessing the evidence of this work in you, making you one with us in a common faith and loyalty to Jesus. And today, as I said, we rejoice to formally welcome you into this family of God, inviting you to participate fully in our worship, in our mission, to use your spiritual gifts in the areas of ministry and service to which God leads you, and help provide for the needs of our congregation as you are able. We ask you to encourage others in the fellowship as you already are and have, 
and by your own devotional life and example, bring growth and enrichment into the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And to you, our congregation, as we receive Lucy into our fellowship, we are entering into a joyous covenant with her. May she always find Stanley Park Baptist Church to be a community of spiritual enrichment, encouragement, and refuge. May she find us always prepared to receive her as part of the family, willing to celebrate her joys, and open to share with her the deepest needs of life. As a sign of your willingness to commit yourself to her, I would ask everyone, if you are able, to please stand and join me in this prayer of dedication. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for Lucy, whom you have added to our fellowship this day, Lord, we thank you for the faith in your son, Jesus, which unites us and binds us together as one body, his body. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who has brought us together in unity this day. And Lord, I pray that you would enable all of us by the power of your spirit to be faithful, active members of your church, committed to worship and ministry, spiritual growth and mission together. May we all use our gifts for the welfare of each other and the well-being of your church. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We will now formally welcome you. You can clap, everyone, and shake the hands here. Right on. You may be seated. God bless you, Lucy. That's wonderful. Uh, there's more, more coming. We, we're actually supposed to have a few other uh, members coming in today too, but uh, health has, uh, has been a little iffy, so Lord willing, uh, we'll look forward to uh, receiving more people into membership in February. By the way, that is when we will also renew our church covenant that I've mentioned here today. We typically do that towards the beginning of every year, and we look forward to do that, doing that the first Sunday in February. Uh, does anyone need elements? Did anyone miss them coming in? Everyone who needs them, we, we can get them to you. If you don't have them, you can just raise your hand. And uh, our new moderator, co-moderator Paul, is here to deliver the elements. Mentioned, my friend's epiphany is about the appearance or the manifestation of God in human form. Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. I think of that one lyric we sang in We Three Kings. It says, myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume, breathless a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Like the Magi, we have come to bow down and worship our King who laid down his perfect life for us, and that is what we are celebrating and proclaiming right here in this sacred act, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. These elements of bread or the wafer that we have here and the juice that we will partake of in a moment represent Jesus' body, his body given for us and his blood, righteous, perfect blood shed for our sins and I've said this before, but they really are the gospel in a, a tangible, visible form. They proclaim to us the great drama of redemption in Christ, salvation in the present. The Apostle Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
but also salvation in the past. You proclaim the Lord's death, past event, and of course, our salvation in the future. You proclaim his death until he comes again. And our Savior, Jesus, is coming again. It might be this year. This is a meal for believers. I mentioned that. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of Jesus Christ who have confessed him before people and are walking with him in the power of the Holy Spirit may partake in this supper. So let me just say this. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him and are not following him, we encourage you to refrain from partaking until we pray and trust you can make that proclamation as a follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul warns us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So before we partake of these elements, let's just take a moment this morning once again to examine ourselves, to recognize both the gravity of our sin and the weight of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this meal, this bread and this cup, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for the supreme sacrifice of your Son. Lord, as, as we meditate on the realities of our sin and, and the salvation that is ours in Christ, we ask for your help in fully confessing our sins to you now in the silence of, of these moments as we prepare to solemnly partake of these elements. Father, your word says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we thank you. Thank you for our forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Together, let us partake of the bread representing Jesus' body given for us, and be thankful. the same way Jesus took the cup also after supper saying this is the new cup sorry the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes again heavenly father thank you 
for the blood of Jesus shed for us. His blood that covers over a multitude of sins, including all of ours. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We give you thanks and praise in his name. Amen. Let us now drink this cup in remembrance of Jesus' blood shed for us, and let us be thankful. Amen. Before I pronounce the benediction, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today to start off uh, the new year, first Sunday of the new year, uh, like this. What a privilege this is to join together each week in worship. We pray that it's something that we don't take lightly, that we commit ourselves to. Uh, and I thank you for giving your time today. Uh, now, before I pronounce the benediction, just join us in the gym. I'm going to get in there right away. I'm going to beeline for the gym today because oftentimes it's very late when I get in there. And so I'm going to go straight there. I'll be the first one in line at the coffee station. Um, but we look forward to a time of fellowship together today. And we look forward to what God is going to do in and through his people here in 2024. Now receive the Lord's blessing. This is from Hebrews 13. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's grace be with you all.